Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is good to have all of you here joining us. Uh, I had a special little Christmas uh, surprise happen today, and I'm just going to share it with you. Uh, my wife and I had led a trip to Israel, as some of you know, just a few weeks ago. And this morning I got a WhatsApp uh, message and then a WhatsApp FaceTime or you know, a video call with a guy in Bethlehem. Uh, his name is uh, Fadi, and Fadi is a Palestinian Christian that I met while we were there. And he has had undergraduate degree, Bible graduate degrees in Bible uh, here in the United States and is back there not only doing ministry in his father's church, his dad is a pastor at a church in Bethlehem, but uh, Fadi is also involved in the tourism industry as well. And we had an opportunity just to talk and to share. It was already dark in Bethlehem. He flipped his camera around and he showed me the church of the nativity off in the distance lit up, as well as the Christmas tree that's in Bethlehem Square that was all lit up off in the distance. And he said, I asked him and he said in a couple of hours was going to be their church services and he and his brother were going to be leading worship and I asked if I could pray for them. And so uh, I prayed and then he uh, reciprocated and he prayed for our service as well. And I got thinking, you know, you know you're going to have a great Christmas Eve service when you're prayed for from Bethlehem. You know, that was a pretty big deal. Well, I'm sure some of you have already, uh, you know, been panicked and gotten your Christmas shopping, you know, done. Obviously, maybe even last minute. Some of you are people who started shopping like tomorrow for next year. Um, I know growing up for me, Christmas shopping was one of those things that I did as a teenager, usually on the 23rd or 24th in absolute panic and not sure and not pre-planned at all on what I was going to be getting for my family. Have you ever gone to one of those parties, though, where you do the white elephant gift? Uh, yeah, you know the, you know what I'm talking about. It's usually where you know you're supposed to bring a gift of like ten bucks. We did it as a leadership team here at the river at our Christmas party a few weeks ago. And generally at those parties, people are very nice, right? I mean, it's a Starbucks gift card or something that's kind of nice, a, a gift card to a restaurant or candles or something that you're, you you want to keep. Uh, a number of years ago, Heidi and I were part of uh, a group of about twenty or so people that did this white elephant gift exchange where anything goes, and they weren't quite so nice. Um, it was really, it was awfully entertaining though. I've got to tell you that. Like when we were there, there were some wild gifts, but we were there one time and, uh, and you know, the gifts are wrapped. You don't know who gave it and you, you kind of decide what you want and you pick it up out of, they were, theirs were all heaped in the middle. And one gal grabbed one and decided that was the one she wanted. And she took it to her seat and all of a sudden she screamed and she threw the box and, um, she didn't see the air holes in the sides of the box. And when it was opened up, there was a really scared little bunny rabbit I know, I know, right? It was just terrifying. So we had to make like new rules. You know, nothing live could be in the box. So next year, the guy who had given the bunny rabbit put a dead rodent inside one of the boxes. A whole new set of rules had to be created, right? And, and then actually the next year we weren't there. And so you couldn't have a you know, live animal, no dead animals. And so he brought a parakeet. And it was pretty exciting, I guess, as the parakeet flew around the house and they all tried to catch it. Um, so those are the kinds of people I did not hang out with that are a lot of fun and do some pretty crazy things. When you're giving a white elephant gift, you know, first of all, you, you don't know who's going to end up with it. Um, it doesn't cost you very much. And the whole thing is pretty random. But when you give a gift with meaning, and you all know what I'm talking about because you've been shopping this year and you've been thinking about specific people and you're thinking, what would they really like and how can I match up you know, what my gift with what their needs might be and what their enjoyment might be, you know, like they may need a car and you have an air freshener budget, you know, something like that. But, but you know, you want to try to do something that's going to be meaningful for them. And so you shop for it, maybe you even save for it. You buy it, you, you wrap it, or you get it wrapped, 
you have it delivered at the right time, and you anticipate the response. And generally, the response is either one of excitement or at least appreciation. Gift giving at Christmas time is an expression of love and sacrifice for somebody else. You know, it's a reflection that we often think about with the Magi or the wise men who brought gifts to honor the birth of Jesus. Take a look at this passage from Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And by the way, if you came through these doors and came immediately in here, you would have missed our living nativity that is in our cafe. And I want to encourage you to make your way out there and just take a look uh, before you leave today. Uh, Maybe even have a little family photo op there or by the uh, the fireplace as well. But when we give gifts at Christmas, ultimately what we're remembering, and kids, when you get your gifts and when you're giving your gifts maybe to your parents or to your family members, it's just a reminder of the gift that God gave to us, as Taylor just read a few minutes ago, by sending his son Jesus, that God gave the very best gift that he could because of his love for us. Over the past couple of weeks here at the River Church, and I know many of you are guests and some of you are from out of town, but here at the River, we've been taking a look at Christmas through the eyes of. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Christmas through the eyes of Jesus. And it was through the eyes of Jesus, not as a baby, or through the eyes of Jesus, not as an adult looking back, but through the eyes of Jesus before he ever came and what that was like. And then last week, we looked at Christmas through the eyes of the angels and what their perspective may have been at the time that Jesus came to earth. And today, we're just going to take a few moments, and we're going to take a look at Christmas from the Father's perspective. Now, just so you know, tomorrow morning, we're not going to be having services live here at the River Church. However, we do have a Christmas Day service for you. Uh, It's all been pre-recorded. It's available on our website at hittheriver.com, and it's available actually right now on our homepage. Uh, Or you can go to our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash hittheriver, uh, or the same thing for YouTube. Uh, You can find the message there as well. And then next next Sunday, we're just going to have one service at 10 a.m., But what we want to do today is just take a few minutes and just pull the curtain back and take a look at what the scene was like that led up to Jesus coming in the manger. Just getting some of the backdrop. Some will increase some of our understanding of what Christmas is all about, no matter where you are in the spiritual spectrum. So hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God the Father sent messengers and had messengers, people, that were giving specific proclamations from God to us about the coming Messiah, so that he couldn't be missed. In fact, these are called prophecies. And these prophecies continue to authenticate who Jesus Christ is. And they give hope today. I want to just give you a couple of examples of these prophecies. For example, in the book of Isaiah, now this was written about 700 years before Jesus was even born. And I want you to think about these words in light of the birth of Jesus. First of all, we're going to take a look just at chapter 7, verse 14. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So it's coming from God. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. This is a message that was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ so that no one would miss the birth of Jesus Christ. A little later in Isaiah chapter 53 It says this, and I'm going to read for us a little longer section. It's verses 2 through 7. Now think about this in light of Jesus. 
For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that, is, that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's about Jesus. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, so that no one would miss it. A little bit later, the prophet Micah wrote this, also about 700 years. He said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, and let me just stop there for a moment, Micah 5.2. Can we go to the next screen, please? In Micah 5.2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, the word Ephrathah actually designates which Bethlehem it was, because there was more than one Bethlehem in Israel. So in order to identify specifically which one it was, that's why this is said. Who are are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come for me, one, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, just for a moment, some of you mathematicians, your minds will start whirling when I ask this question, but, but what is the likelihood What's the probability of these things being declared hundreds of years before somebody's birth and then actually coming true in their life? John Ankerberg and John Weldon and Walter Kaiser Jr. co-wrote an article, and it was called this. If specific prophecies were fulfilled by the Messiah, does the science of probability consider this proof that there is a God? Now, they wrote about how David Greenglass was a World War II traitor, and he gave atomic secrets to the Soviet Union, and then he fled to Mexico after the war. His conspirators had agreed to help him by planning a meeting with the secretary of the Soviet ambassador in Mexico City. In order to be identified, there had to be proper identification for both parties that was absolutely vital, and Greenglass was to identify himself with just six prearranged signs. These instructions were given to both the secretary and to Greenglass so there'd be no possibility of making a mistake. The signs were this. Once in Mexico City, he was to write a note to the secretary signing his name, I. Jackson. Number two. After three days, he was to go to the Plaza de Colón in Mexico City. Number three. He was to stand before the statue of Columbus. Number four. He was to have his middle finger placed in a guidebook. Number five, when he was approached, he was to say it was a magnificent statue and that he was from Oklahoma. And number six, the secretary would then give him a passport. Now they write this. They say the six prearranged signs worked. Why? 
Because with six identifying characteristics, it was impossible not to identify green glass as the proper contact. How true then, they write, it must be that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Because there are 456 identifying characteristics that were given well in advance, and all of them were fulfilled by him. Men and women, God didn't want anybody to miss Jesus. Both when he came to the earth and for the years to come, God gave his very best gift because of his love for you. In fact, the Bible talks about God's love for you. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Next screen. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I want you to keep in mind that final phrase. But I also want to tell you about something that we have for you as just a small gift when you leave today. Just outside these doors, there's a couple of little trays. And in those trays, we have these little wooden hearts Real thin, real smooth, very easy to slip into your pocket. We want you to take these hearts with you. Just take one, just one, need enough for the other services. But take one with you, put it in your pocket, put it someplace where you're going to see it, someplace where you're going to remember it. And let this be a reminder to you of the heart of God for you. That he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, for you. So what does this mean, that Jesus came to take away our sins? You know, I know in this room there are probably people from all kinds of spiritual backgrounds, and out of respect, I don't want to assume too much awareness of what the Bible actually says about why Jesus came. So let me just give some quick background to this. The Bible teaches that there's one God, and he's represented by three distinct individuals, three distinct persons who are all eternal, always existing, all equal in nature, but very different roles. As many of you know, and you grew up even saying it, there's God the Father, and there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Even in the earliest books of the Bible, it gave references and inferences to the work of the Trinity. For example, take a look at these two verses. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's that talking about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 6, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, when you get into the New Testament, it's far more explicit than that. I mean, the union and the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, the one of a relationship of love and of joy and of peace and of power and of unity and unity in spirit and unity in purpose. I mean, you see it at Jesus' baptism. When the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus after he was baptized, when the Father spoke and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never being apart, always loving each other, always doing everything together. Even when they chose to create, it was Jesus who did the creative work. The Bible even describes that. It says, for by him all things were created. But I want you to know, the greatest part of all of God's creation. You, know, you see the splendor of the mountains and, and even the beauty of the snow. 
and the wonders of the ocean and the creatures around us. The greatest part of this creation is you. It's you. And he loves you so much and he wants a relationship with you. He created Adam and Eve, and you know some of the story back in the Garden of Eden, everything was so good. They enjoyed a relationship with him. They, they walked with him in the garden, and they loved their time with him. But when they got tempted by Satan, Adam and Eve made this choice not to trust that God had their best interest in mind. They began to get suspicious that maybe God was holding out on them. And they made this choice to rebel against God, which ultimately was a betrayal. Have you ever been betrayed I mean, you know how much that hurts? And you know the relationships get severed, the relationship gets changed, there's consequences to betrayal. Well, as a result, not only did Adam and Eve lose the intimate communion with God, but so did we. All of mankind, all the way through history. In fact, the Bible says, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, and that's what we're talking about today, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. you got to know that while God had all of the splendor of heaven and all of the angels that were worshiping him and all of the, the heavenly beings that we can't even imagine and the unity with, with the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, even though he had all of that, the one thing he wanted was a relationship with you. And he wanted that relationship to be restored. And he knew that because of our sin, there was nothing we could possibly do to restore that relationship. We couldn't do enough good to tip the scales in our favor and hopefully give enough money or go to church enough or be kind enough to people and animals. There's no way that we could do enough before a holy God. In fact, the Bible even says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God knew our issue And he knew that it was up to him to come up with a solution. And this is just Brad thinking and my imagination in this. But I imagine somewhere in the conversation and the intimacy of the Trinity, I just imagine that there was a time when the father said to his son, son, I've got a mission for you. You know I love those people. And yes, they aren't faithful, and yes, they have rebelled, and yes, they do often reject and ignore and misuse my name and don't pursue me. But son, I love them, and I want a relationship with them so badly. And I want them to have that opportunity again. I want them to experience freedom. I want them to experience freedom from sin. I want them to know experience freedom from guilt. I want them to know freedom from, from condemnation. I want them to know freedom from shame. Freedom from hatred and from deception. I want to experience freedom in a relationship with me. And so, son, I'm sending you. You're going to become one of them, and you're going to live with them, and eventually they're going to crucify you. And when they do, all of their sins, past, present, and future, are going to be placed upon you at that time. And you will be buried, and you will raise again triumphantly in three days. And then there will be a gift that is prepared for them to receive if they want it. A gift of a relationship with me, a gift of immediate access to my throne, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of freedom, a gift of hope, a gift of peace, a gift of joy, a gift of my presence, a gift of my power. And that's how much God loves you. The love of the Father for the Son and his willingness to give his most precious gift 
his son for you. God took the initiative. He considered what we needed. He counted the cost. And the father gave up his son and allowed him to experience rejection and ridicule, all the things that had been prophesied 700 years earlier. And Jesus experienced one of the most cruel forms of capital punishment known by man. Here's what I want to be real clear about. Whether you've been a Christ follower for decades, or maybe you're you know, investigating the claims of Christ and you're a spiritual inquirer, God's gift to you cost him tremendously but it costs you nothing because it's a gift. It's a gift of forgiveness of sins, of fullness of life, of his presence with you forever. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about it this way. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he said, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, notice that. Some of you may think, oh, I've got to get my life cleaned up. I've got to get my life straight. I've got to start you know, doing certain things before God's going to accept me. No, 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 no. To whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a personal choice. In fact, very simply, the Bible says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's why Jesus came. When we celebrate Jesus this Christmas, every Christmas, we're celebrating the fact that God loves you so much. He sent his son for you. If you've never invited Christ into your life, if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, and all of this is resonating with you right now, and you're just thinking, that is exactly what I want. That is exactly what I've been looking for. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you or anything like that, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply pray, And ask Christ into your life and know that forgiveness and know that joy and know that relationship and receive that gift that is yours today. I want to remind you again, those wooden hearts that you're going to be holding on to, that's a reminder to you, just a symbol of God's incredible love for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that you've loved every single one of us with an everlasting love by sending your son, Jesus, for us. So today, this Christmas season, as we give gifts and as we celebrate, we just remember again the incredible gift of what you've given to us through your son, Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here or anybody online who's watching who's never invited Christ into their life, Maybe theologically they've known about all this, but all of a sudden they're just feeling that pull on their heart. And they don't know what all the implications will be, but they know this. They know that you're, you're drawing them to yourself. And I would just invite you right now just to simply say a prayer, if this is you. 
just in your heart, just say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you came specifically to pay a price I couldn't pay. And so I want to invite you into my life. I believe that you are a gift from God to me. And so I just, I receive that gift. And I want to live for you. And Father, I just pray for your blessings to be upon every single person, young and old in this room and online, that they would know the nearness of your presence and the fullness of your love and your delight in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you all have a really blessed and Merry Christmas. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over all of you. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray now for your blessing of peace and joy over every individual and every family represented here. We thank you for the greatest gift of all, your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.